This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the New News Podcast. We're in the divisional series of the playoffs right now. So I think last time I said you should go get some Marlins gear because they kept the Cubs out of the playoffs, but Skip Schumacher and the Marlins just got swept out of the playoffs. So maybe go get your Rangers gear for Jordan Montgomery or your Orioles gear for Jack Flaherty, but you can't get your Cardinals gear for the postseason because they missed it. We all know that. We'll get into all of this, but Sandy, let's just start off by what are some quick playoff thoughts you have so far, just in general about the playoffs, and then maybe any of it, how it's impacted your view on the Cardinals for 2024. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. This probably isn't something everyone wants to hear, but I hate the playoffs when the Cardinals aren't involved. <laughs> I like force myself to watch the games that I watch, and I'm just kind of mad about the whole thing. So that's really whiny of me. Um, and also, <laughs> the teams I really don't like are winning. The Phillies are winning. That really stinks. Hmm. Uh, at least the Dodgers lost their first game, which is nice. We're probably going to have an all Texas affair, which me being in Waco right now, it's going to be brutal. Everyone <laughs> I know is either an Astros fan or a Rangers fan, and they're all arguing with each other right now. Um, but the big thing is really like the team construction in the playoffs here. All the teams that are succeeding are built to win in the playoffs and they're built to have at least two very good pitchers, right? It's a lot like the Phillies um, last year where they were able to throw Nola at us. And, and it's like, there's not a lot we can do about that right now. Obviously the Cardinals weren't built that way. You look at the teams involved, the Rangers, right? You have Evaldi Montgomery, uh, the Diamondbacks, you have Gallon. Kelly and then fought like sort of, but that's, that's really two guys and kind of a young unknown. And that's how all these teams seem to be built. The Cardinals don't have that at all. It's a huge reason that we're not able to compete with the best of the best. Yeah. And you even look at the Rangers, the Dodgers and like the Rangers have Scherzer and DeGrom too, but they're just both out. Yeah. Like the Dodgers, they have a little Urias, but that's kind of gone now. And yeah. they had Walker Bueller. Like they, like all these teams have even more arms than they have at their disposal yeah. right now. And so I, I think it's really easy to see the link you're talking about here that the Cardinals need two starters, not just Miles Michaelis and Jose Quintana, like they did last year. You need two top end guys who can really produce for you. So I think you and I have both seen a lot. People are hating on the Jordan Montgomery trade saying like, that's one of the guys they could have had. They gave him away. They didn't extend him. They extended Michaelis instead. We can debate the Michaelis extension. I think you could argue they shouldn't have done that either way. But what is your thoughts on them trading Jordan Montgomery? Was that a bad idea now that he's positioned in the playoffs? Or is that still a good move? Yeah, I'm really surprised to like see this at all. The Jordan Montgomery trade was a masterclass for John Mosellock. And I say this to somebody who has been an outspoken critic of Mo at times when I think he screws up. I don't think he screwed up here. If people don't like that deal, they don't understand the basic concept of buying and selling in baseball. When you're a bad baseball team and you have guys with limited control, which means they're not going to play for you next year, you need to get rid of them. You're not going to the playoffs. You're not getting any value out of them. So you mortgage the present. You get worse to get better in the future. And the guys they got back, again, 
John King looks like he's going to be a big part of this bullpen next year. He was great down the stretch. But much more importantly, Thomas Sejazi and Takoa Roby are probably going to end up in the top 100 overall prospects next year. There's a lot of buzz around these guys. Sejazi in particular had maybe the best second half from a prospect I've seen since I started following this team. Hmm. It was incredible how just dominant he was at double A and then to move up to triple A and not skip a beat. Meanwhile, Roby looks really good in the fall league. I don't know. I think you got a lot of control. You got 12 years of control from guys who are like probably really good for what two months, like 10 starts from Jordan Montgomery. And all of that came from injured Harrison Bader who got DFA'd by the Yankees. So like, yes, I understand the frustration from cards fans, but like, this is a great deal for the Cardinals. Couldn't agree with you more on that. And like even your point, the John King side of it, like King is probably their third or fourth best reliever on the roster right now. Like that even in itself is nice value for next year. But then so JC, like whether he's a trade chip or he's the next Brendan Donovan type to come up and then Takoa Ropey could be like, I've seen from, this isn't just Cardinals analysis, but I've seen like the Kyle Reese's of the world and other be like, Oh, he's easily their best prospect now. Like, this is the guy. And then you look at nationally, there's people saying like, okay, like this Roby guy, if he was healthy, there's no way the Rangers would have traded him. Like the fact that they took even, and that's encouraging too, they took a risk on a guy who had an arm injury. They bought on a guy that was raking um, a double A and he's won the double A MVP as well. And so JC, like the Cardinals can sign Montgomery this off season. Like, what do we want to do? Like re-sign him and not have Takoa Roby and Thomas Casey? Like, He's not going to turn down like Jordan Montgomery is going to sign with the team that offers him the most money. Maybe there's something that sways him with geographical stuff, but I don't think him staying an extra two months in St. Louis would have changed that. And then signing him back in the spring. Like I know he talked about, he wanted a deal, but he's a Scott Boris client. Like it wasn't, it wasn't going to be the $16 million a year that Michaelis was getting. It was probably 25 to 26 and whatever that deal was then everyone would have freaked out because he was not this like, after seeing the season, everyone's like, yeah, he's worth that money. And even then, I don't know if a Cardinals fan thinks he should worth $26 million a year, even though that's what he's going to get. I just, yeah, perfect. Like, I get accused of being a holding Mo's water all the time. I feel like I'd say, call it as it is when I see it. But that was just an incredible deal. So I, I think we could debate whether or not they should have re-signed Michaelis. Looking back, they should just sign neither of them. But it's fine. We'll, we'll work at it. Yeah, I just, again, like, could not agree more with the extension um, sentiment here. Like, an extension maybe was possible, but I can't actually think of a Scott Boris client I've seen get extended, and it's never team-friendly. If Scott Boris signs a deal, it is the exact maximum amount that his client can get. That's what he does. That's what he promises as an agent. That's why people have him as their agent, right? he, He does not settle before free agency because he knows players play well in contract years oftentimes he wants to capitalize on that value and monty's been great but again you're so right there's no way that they were going to settle for anything besides a massive overpay and like maybe that'd be a little bit cheaper than it is now probably a little cheaper but i totally understand why the cardinals weren't going to take that risk also at the time the season michaelis was coming off of last year was really good there was a lot to suggest that Miles Michaelis was a really great pitcher. He had incredible control through 200 innings for the third time in five years. That's a huge deal. Other guys aren't giving you, and, and it's not just 200 innings, it's 200 quality innings, 200 quality innings with an ERA right around three, four, three, five. Like yeah. that is number two, number three stuff. I understand signing him and it was below market value. Had Michaelis done that again, 
and hit free agency, he'd be looking at a deal around 20 million AAV probably. Yep. He'd be looking so, at like Sonny Gray money right now. Like not at, by as much, but in that range. Yeah. So, and also they did like, again, another smart move. They front loaded the deal a little bit. They added money onto his salary in 2023. So instead of paying him what should have been a 19 to 20 AAV, they're paying him $16 million a year next year. I think, I mean, again, if he pitches like he did this year, it's an overpay, but if he sure. gets even slightly back, if he's last year, that's a, great value and if he's anywhere yeah, between 16 million dollars a year for a guy who eats 200 innings with a mid three era even a four era that's that's it works and you need a guy so you can eat innings so um if we're talking about like big picture playoff thoughts one of the things that stuck out to me is all the teams that got swept out of the wild card they mm. couldn't hit the yeah. milwaukee brewers i mean we all knew we've watched them for years they don't have an offense the Tampa Bay Rays, their offense just continues to not come up in the postseason. Last year, they got shut out of the games. This year, they almost set a record for most postseason innings in a row without scoring a run. Um, you I'm had, <laughs> yeah, and in front of the 10 fans that show up to their games, yeah, they're so going to build the ballpark in the exact same spot. Like, that's going to make a difference. But um, <laughs> why am I blanking yeah. on the other teams that got swept out here? Um, well, the Marlins. The Marlins, which, again, we all know don't have an offense um and then i just had oh and the blue jays which yeah. is supposed to be a good offense but huh sometimes good offenses in a two game uh, sample size don't perform i wonder if that's ever happened to a team before oh yeah the cardinals sometimes you can have a good offense and things don't happen but i think the moral of the story here is like do you have you need the pitching obviously you need the front two guys but then you have guys that can capitalize off that kind of pitching in the playoffs I saw a lot of discourse on social media, uh, especially on X, Twitter, oh, yeah. um, talking about how the Cardinals offense was not good enough this year that are ranked in the mid, like so the 13, 14, 15 range in offense. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, it's so, hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I did some digging. So you had over a thousand plate appearances, almost 1100 or a little over 1100, I think, which is almost two full seasons or of, of position players. So think of this, like two two full-time position players at-bats from Aluken Baker, from Ty Taylor Motter, from the like all, all the guys you can think of that came up in September that shouldn't be getting played appearances. You had over 1,100 at-bats from those guys. So that's like a pitcher spot in your lineup again. Basically, the Cardinals had a pitcher spot. They had two of them pretty much this year. Exactly. Their lineup in September looked like the 2017, 2016, or 2017, 2018 Cardinals where their offense was just awful. Like, yeah, it looked like that again. So you you do that. So I'm like, okay, I test second half. Lineup wasn't going to be good. We all knew that. And then you look at their end of the season rankings. Yeah, it isn't good. So I went back and I'm like, hey, you, Brendan Donovan goes down on 728. They officially shut him down for the year. They sell right after that. Here is their offensive rankings at the time. They were sixth in all of baseball in WRC plus with 109. They were seventh in slug, seventh in on base percentage, seventh in WOBA, eighth in average, eighth in war. Like they were a really good offense while having a down year from Goldie, a down year from Arenado, injuries to Newt Bar in the first half, injuries to Gorman. Like there Contreras, were guys, yeah. Contreras having that weird thing happen, and then he caught fire then. Like the offense was really good. And then you look at um, so they're 10% above league average as a team. Before that moment, you look at September, I think they were 15% below league average in September. So that like totally dips your offense. So am I concerned in some way? Sure. Like 
I don't think people are talking enough about Arenado's back injury. Like, hopefully he's healthy in the spring and it's not a big deal, but he was 7% above league average, I believe, at the plate this year. Like, that's horrible for, for the expectations that we have for him. Yes. Like, so if he, if assuming we all think he's going to be back to normal, that's a huge, that's potentially 20 to 30% of a boost from his position yes. alone. Goldie caught fire at the end. Contreras looks comfortable now. It's a year of development for Walker, Gorman, Newpar, Donovan. The offense is the least of their concerns. They don't Absolutely. need to add anyone. Do they need to be better at positioning guys and figuring out how to maximize their talent? Do they maybe need to cut from the glut a little bit? I'm all in on all of that. But to say that they have, they need a new center fielder, to say they need a new DH, like, okay. Like, what are we doing here? What are your thoughts, Sandy? I, I, I'm, I'm ranting I'm too totally much. With you. No, I'm totally with you because you can't judge, like you can't evaluate a team when the team just wasn't there. Down yep. the stretch in September, we saw a team that was playing Junio Caracuto. We saw a team that was playing Jose Fermin, Richie Palacios, who actually I really like Richie Palacios. Yeah. Like, I really like him and I love to see him training up a driveline. Shout out to Richie. That's awesome. Like, I think he actually might be really good at some point in yeah. time. I really, I, but like, I'm sorry, 24 year old Richie Palacios does not need to be a starter on the Cardinals for three months. Yeah. Right. And it felt like that's kind of what we got because nobody was playing. Nobody was healthy. Um, or you even got Mason Wynn, which I mean, we all wanted to see him, but we all knew it was going to take time for his bat to come up. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mason Wynn developed, like moved really quickly for sort of a, those glove first speed prospects. Like those guys generally move a little slower, I think, because no one's itching to see their bat at the big league level. And so he's really young. Yeah. I don't have a problem with him. Like, but yeah, his bat was horrible. Right. But like, that's kind of what was expected. You're so right. But again, like, I don't know, not having Donovan, not having Gorman Contreras, like not getting as much playing time in the first half as he should have. And then being hurt again at the end, like all of that put together for the Cardinals to still probably be a, like a top three, top four offense in the national league. That's a huge deal. You're talking about them basically being better than everybody except for the Braves and the Dodgers. Yep. Like that's that's a big deal. That's an that's a really good offense. That offense, just considering like National League playoff teams, that offense was far better than the Brewers. It was far better than the Marlins. It was far better than the Diamondbacks. It was better than the Phillies. Kind of a lot better than the Phillies, actually, when you think about all the holes that they had in their lineup. So, like you said, the offense not the issue at all. There are there are very few teams in contention in the National League this year that stacked up with the Cardinals positionally. Yep. Yeah, and I think you like I mean obviously the Phil like or yeah actually they're a great example. The Phillies got off to a really slow start to the year. Well, Bryce Harper was out. Like Trey Turner was hitting really oh, was really slow as a hitter. All that kind of stuff. And no one back then was like their offense is terrible, get rid of their team. Like once their bats were on and once they were healthy, they were fine. And so yeah. I think the Phillies are a really good comparison of like what kind of tier we're looking at. Like the Braves I don't think there's anything the Cardinals or anyone in the National League besides the Dodgers can do to catch the Braves right now. Like, absolutely not. Your best case scenario is you have a fighting chance, like the Phillies do right now, of, of knock or a puncher's chance of knocking them out. So that's what you're yeah. trying to position yourself to do. And that's possible in the playoffs if you have the top end talent to do it. They have it offensively, they don't have it pitching right or wise right now. That's the story of the moment. And I think, like, if, if, well, first of all, if they're even contending for a wild card spot and they miss the playoffs, I guarantee you they finish top 10 easily in all these offensive categories because they probably don't shut down Gorman like they did. Yes. Arnado probably muscles through it a little bit more. Like there's some different things that happen there. So, well, anyways, I, oh, yeah. It's, 
it's so hard to like hit well when you're down eight nothing in the yeah. first right like <laughs> i think if the cardinals are, are more competitive in a lot of these games they're probably hitting better like i don't know i think the slog definitely takes a toll on guys in august and september those dog day months yeah if you're down if you've lost 80 or last 10 and you're getting absolutely pummeled again on some like random tuesday evening at bush stadium like i'm sorry i wouldn't be in it either yeah i totally agree and i think people will say that's making excuses I think you'd be making excuses if you're saying the whole reason the the offense is terrible this past year is because of that. Like it's there's a lot of reasons for things. Yeah. And if it comes back in May next year, they're not hitting. None of us are going to sit here and say, well, like, just give it a little, like then then there maybe is some issues. And same this with like an Ollie Marmol. Like, I mean, you can depend how you feel, change how you feel about him, whatever you want to do, but. I'm going to defend him now because I think there's so many things that were issues this past year. But if we get more evidence that says it's wrong, then it's wrong. So I just don't see a scenario. And then you also have to JC coming up. You have Victor Scott. Like you've got plenty of bats internally. I could maybe see them going after a backup infielder. If they trade one of their guys, maybe another outfielder, but not a starter. Like I just, that's a waste of resources. Pitching, pitching, pitching. Yep. That's all they need. And speaking of pitching, 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 uh, the Cardinals are actually linked to a lot of guys right now, which is really good news. And to take a step back for a second, I'll rant, or maybe not rant, but I will kind of set the floor, is that in past off seasons, Cardinals fans, even Cardinals media, will sometimes link them to people that they are not actually interested in. So to say, like, they missed out on Trey Turner is not true. They didn't go after Trey Turner. To say they missed out on Bryce Harper in the past, that was an oversight on their part, but they were not interested in Bryce Harper. They didn't say they, they didn't they didn't go up to the number. Same with Max Scherzer. Like that story kind of floated up again the other day. Like they could have had him. They chose not to. This time around, they are choosing to be in the markets for Blake Snell, Aaron Nola, Sonny Gray. We'll go through a lot of these names later. They are linking themselves to these guys. When that happens, they tend to actually make really good offers and yeah. get the guy or get outbid in a crazy way. Example, David Price. They had him pen in hand, ready to sign a deal. And then the Red Sox went and offered him $50 million, $50 million more. And the Cardinals were like, that's insane. Get out of here. I think we all think that was a good call. They had Giancarlo Stanton acquired. He and said he, no. Yeah, he told the trade. Yeah, you had last offseason. Sean Murphy was their guy. They went to the wire to get him. The athletics asked for the most insane offers. So they pivoted to who? Wilson Contreras, who was the best catcher available. I'm not here to say the Cardinals just make all the big moves all the time. They they philosophically chose to not invest in the top end of the pitching market. Ownership did not want that to happen. It's unclear how much the front office actually didn't want to do that, but clearly they were not allowed to. Derek Gold is coming out and saying that has changed. Adam Wainwright's come out and said ownership's hungry. Derek Gold is saying internally they've had conversations. They see eye to eye that they need to invest in pitching. At the end of the day, it depends on if they actually go get that pitching. If they get one of the arms and they don't get two, we'll be here to critique them. If they try to sell us that Jordan Montgomery, James Paxton, and some random guy with a four-year array is going to solve it, no one's going to agree with that. But right now, it seems like they are ready to make changes. And so what Sandy and I are going to do is there's a list of guys who have already been linked to them. 
So this these are guys that multiple sources have said within the Cardinals organization that they are actually interested in these names. And we will go through and say, how do we feel like if Josh and Sandy are signing the contracts and making the trades, do we think this is the best fit for the Cardinals or do we not think yay or nay? Now, there's probably going to be five yays and something nays. Obviously, they aren't going to get all of these guys. But who makes the most sense in terms of trade value, in terms of the dollars to sign them, in terms of what the cardinal fit, all that kind of stuff. So I'll go through the list of names. We'll debate them a little bit, talk through how we feel about them. And then we can maybe throw in some random names as well that maybe haven't been linked to them yet. But in the reporting, again, uh, they keep saying they're not limited to these names. These are just the names that have risen to the surface to start. So let's start with a big one the probable NL Cy Young Award winner, someone who seems very different than what the Cardinals typically bring in, and that is Padres Blake Snell. Obviously, he leads all of baseball in ERA right now. He's also a walk machine, but he's also a strikeout machine. He's probably going to get the biggest contract of them all. Sandy, it looked like you gave the thumbs down. Why are you yeah. out on Blake Snell? I'm I'm really out on Blake Snell. I'm pulling okay. up some of the numbers, but basically my thing with Snell He's had two good seasons ever, and he's been in the league now for eight years. Yep. In his first good season, go back to 2018, he won the Cy Young Award. That's awesome. Before that, he was 4% above average as a pitcher. After that, 3% above average as a pitcher. That year, randomly, 217 ERA plus, right? 117% above league average. That's incredible. But after that, Never even touched 130 again until this year when randomly again, he leads all of baseball in ERA plus. Yeah. Maybe if you sign Blake Snell to a six-year deal, you get like one, maybe two of these incredible years, but I don't want that. I want a guy who's going to be consistent for me every year. Yeah. Miles Michaelis has been better than Blake Snell in five of his eight seasons. <laughs> that That's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty damning evidence for a guy yeah. who we're talking about getting a bazillion dollars because he had one great year in a contract year. I'm telling you right now, change up the sequencing here. If Blake Snell had done, you know, this year, what he did in 2021, for example, when he threw 128 innings with an ERA of 420, a FIP around 3.8, ERA plus of 92, we'd be talking about him getting considerably less money. Oh, and by the way, he walked less guys and struck out more guys that year. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. I it's interesting too, because you even go like sometimes I try to pull up how what were people's feelings on free agents at the beginning of the year versus the end of the year. And Blake Snell was like kind of one of those guys that people thought maybe you'd have to take a one-year deal to figure things out, or he'd get like a like maybe a uh I don't know, like a Chris Bassett type deal. Like he wasn't gonna get big money, and everyone's concerns was he walks the world, he's inconsistent, he doesn't go deep in the games obviously he's had a historic second half and so i'm a nay on blake snell but i'm not like totally out on him where i'm like i would hate it if the cardinals signed him if they decide to sign him i would hope it's because they see something in him obviously his top end talent's there so like could he continue it like sure maybe he's figured himself out as a pitcher now and but i think there are just so many red flags where if he's getting if he was in the sunny gray type of like contract range you would sign that oh, yeah, puppy because yeah, it's like yeah. the risk is just it's worth it but when you're signing him to a top of the market deal um he's i mean besides maybe yamamoto which even then i think he probably gets less than snell snell's gonna get the most money i, I get scared of guys that are so reliant on their stuff like you think that's a good thing but when you walk the world 
which he hasn't he's i think he leads the league in um 99 walk this year yeah so he's all of baseball uh, leads all baseball but then i think he also leads the league in least amount of hits per nine which that's great but the second he starts giving up more hits and the second those strikeouts drop off sure he might reinvent himself as a pitcher but we haven't seen that yet it's probably going to be doom and gloom for him it's you're maybe potentially paying this guy 35 30 million dollars a year and he's not going deep into games he's not striking guys out anymore i think there's a lot a lot of reasons to be cautious there so I'm encouraged the Cardinals are in on him because it means they're willing to look at different pitching than they have before. But ultimately, I'm probably out on Blake Snell too. So let's go to the uh, one of the other biggest names. Wait, unless you have any, I just have one more thing about yeah, Blake go for that. So I just wanted to say I've been looking at this this data here and like last year Blake Snell, three thirty eight ERA, two eight FIP, walked three point six, which is actually doable. Struck out twelve per nine. Okay. That was a really good pitcher. This year, Blake Snell, his ERA drops an entire point, actually more than a point, and his FIP has gone up 0.6. Yikes. He's gotten incredibly lucky in an environment, okay, because he, he leads the league in hits per nine, like you said, but still has a below average whip, meaning he's putting a ton of runners on base. And this is an environment where we just got the shift band. So, like, hits are more common than ever. We saw that the whole Cardinal staff started giving up more hits this year, despite a having point. very good defense still. I just, I just don't see how there's any way that Blake Snell should be a target for the Cardinals. I actually would say if the Cardinals went out and signed Blake Snell to a top-of-the-market deal, day one I would consider it a failure. I'd be happy to be wrong, but I would consider that a failure from day one. That's fair. And maybe like, and if I'm sitting back and I'm they make that deal, I probably am pessimistic that it works out. I think yeah. I'm mostly – maybe I actually this is probably the wrong way to look at it because I'd rather them make the right moves than the one that appeals fans. But for me, it would be like, okay – they did what everyone asked them to do. If it yeah. fails, like, look why they didn't do it in the past. Now, that's not totally, I'm not totally defending that, but I'm saying, like, in a Blake Snell standpoint, like, I think it makes sense to hold off. But like you said, you could prove us wrong. So let's go sure. to another name that's been linked to him a lot. Also has concerns, um, but for different reasons than Blake Snell, Aaron Nola. Um, yes. Again, he just feels like a Cardinal. Uh, he eats innings. I think a good comparison I've heard is he's Miles Michaelis plus, where it's like he's that kind of pitcher, but just better, uh, which actually isn't always true. If you compare his third three years, the past three years, Miles Michaelis and Aaron Ola, they're really comparable. Like you honestly might pick Miles Michaelis. Um, but in general, over his career, Aaron Ola is one of the top pitchers in baseball. He's at a 5.5 war win season. He was 6.3 war last year, 4.4 and 4.5 also. But he's also a little inconsistent. This year, he has a 4.46 ERA. He's had a 4.63 ERA before, 4.78. He's been below three ERA once in his career, above four three times. So there's some issues there, but he also eats a lot of innings. And he's a guy that I think will age well, where he's not so reliant on his stuff to dominate you, like in a strikeout swing in this sense that his his strikeouts have dipped a little bit the last year. It was above 10 for the last few years, and now it's per nine. Now it's uh, nine point something, I think, or maybe it's eight point something. Um, 9.4 this year. Oh, 9.4. Okay, so it's still a, a batter per nine innings, which is something the Cardinals don't really have right now, so that's kind of nice. Um, I would still say I think it's more of a – I would say it's a yay for me because the pros of what he could provide this staff from an innings standpoint – is worth it. And I do think 
he will not, I don't think he'll be this bad. I think you're probably looking at a mid three year raise kind of guy. And if he's giving you over 200 innings, that's really good value. And then he's proven in the postseason he can step up when it matters the most. So he kind of feels like a guy who knows what it means to pitch in the regular season versus what it means to pitch in the postseason. And when he's on the biggest stage, NLCS and World Series last year did not go well. That's true. But then you look at the wild card this year, wild card last year, and NLDS last year, he covered 19 and two-thirds innings without giving up a run in those three starts. Like, that's really good pitching. So I'm in on Aaron Nola. Um, I have my concerns, though. So I'm not like, he's not my favorite target on the market. There's multiple guys I'd rather have than Aaron Nola. But if they went after him, I think that's good for one of the arms. What do you think, Sandy? Yeah, I absolutely feel a lot like that. I like Aranola more than I like Snell because I think he's a lot cheaper than Snell, right? Like, yeah. I also think the things that we're saying, executives are probably saying too, True. right? Like, LB execs are super smart and they have access to data that we don't even have. And yeah, you're probably not. I don't think, especially in this league, that's so much more data-driven than it was five years ago and much more than it was eight years ago when we're talking about David Price being a free agent. I don't think you're going to have you know, an office that's just gonna be like, oh my gosh, we need Aaron Nola and his below average strikeout stuff Mm -hmm. to be our ace. We're going to pay him $200 million. Like that's just not going to happen. These, these execs are smart. I think they're having conversations that we are, and it's going to lower his value a little bit. And I think that does bring him into the Cardinals range. And I would be okay with them signing him. It's going to be cheaper than Snell. Um, so yeah, I really like that. And also like looking at his numbers right now, like you said, he a little bit inconsistent two of the last three years, he's been a below average pitcher, but before that he had, you know, four consecutive, very, very good seasons all in a row, almost won a Cy Young one year. Um, but it's, you're right. It's not the same like peaks and valleys that you see with Snell and he throws a ton more innings than Snell does. He approached 200 this year was over 200 last year. He doesn't walk like anybody. He pounds the strike zone. I really like that. Um, I think like if you're the Cardinals, again, even in this new league, you do want to trust your defense. You you have those guys for a reason. Arenado is going to be better defensively than he was last year. I just have to manifest that because there's no way he's that bad. <laughs> um, you know, you have to be assuming that that's going to improve. So yeah, I'd be fine with a guy who's going to trust his defense. He's not going to put people on base for no reason. Free passes have really hurt the Cardinals last year, especially. Yeah. So yeah, I would I would say like medium thumbs up for me <laughs> for, uh, for Aaron Nola. If he did it, I'd be happy to watch him pitch on opening day. Yeah, I think so too. And also I think with pretty much all these names, what goes without saying, we're not saying the Cardinals need to go and get just one guy. Yes. So if they went out and got just Aaron Nola, if they went out and just got name your favorite starter, but not another top end guy, that's a failure. So when we say yay or nay to some guys, like it's with the assumption that's paired with other things. Aaron Nola doesn't save the staff, but Aaron Nola plus other things could. Um, Let's go to the next guy. That's probably there's, I think most people would say there's three guys in the top of the market. You've got Aaron Nola, Blake Snell, and then you've got Yoshinobu, Yoshinobu, I believe it is Yamamoto. 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 Yeah. 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 So um, Sandy, your initial thoughts. I've got some interesting thought or, my, I've actually flipped on my opinion on this because hey, I won't here. I'll let you go. Let's let's roll. Well, I mean, being friends with Andrew, right? <laughs> he's kind of a, he, he knows a lot more about the Japanese leagues than I do. Um, so I generally trust him. And he was telling me like, they're kind of going through a dead ball era right now. So it's yeah. really hard to tell like what's good over there and what's not. 
I'm trying which to is super under talked about. I don't hear anyone yes. else talking about that. So good on, uh, uh, good on Andrew for that. Yeah, he's really plugged in. And so, I mean, he's telling me Yamamoto is like compared to the league is the best Japanese pitcher to ever come to the States, which to me, like, that's crazy. Because yeah. we just saw Shohei Otani come to the States and be awesome, Kodai which is really Senga. exciting. And Kodai Senga, you know, who just came over last year, similar run environment, um, was, you know, was very good this year. You're talking about a guy who might be better than him. That's awesome. Like, I'd definitely be willing to pay handsomely for that. But at the same time, I, I just always have questions about guys coming over from a different league um, because sometimes it just doesn't work at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, like, it took Kikuchi like six years to become mm-hmm. adjusted to major league baseball hitting. And now we finally see him being a productive pitcher. It's like, Oh, this is the talent he had from the beginning probably, but it took him a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even like farther back in the day, Uehara comes over and like just complete disappointment. Yeah. And like, that's so, I don't know. I really don't want to see the Cardinals play at the top of the market for a guy with that, like one massive question mark. So for me, like, I'd be really excited if they got him. So probably like like here, I'd like it a little okay. more than Nola, but I'm not. It's not like gray. Where gray for me is like, oh my gosh, I'm all in. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I would say I'm mostly so at, yes and to a lot of that. Um, I'm a I'm a pro Yamamoto now. I was out because I thought his market was going to get out of hand in a sense that yeah. I just don't love the idea of giving money to someone that I just don't understand. Like, if it's going to translate or not. Like even beyond just the play on the field, like. What if there is like a cultural coming? Like there's been guys in the past who just don't really like the American lifestyle and miss home. I mean, if you're in St. Louis, especially, you're not anywhere close to Japan. And so that's not like an easy flight. Let's go home and hang out for the weekend type thing. Mm. Not that LA is either, but I think there's, it'd be a culture shock, but I'm going to get out of that because that's just too much speculative there. Some things that concern me before is he only struck out nine and 0.3 batters per nine in another league. It makes me think like how much is he going to strike out the major league level? But at the end of the day, this dude has a one, one, six year, right? Yeah. And he's 25. Like that's incredible. And something that I think is really, so I was listening to Derek Gould talk to Zach, or, uh, Kevin Wheeler the other day on his, on uh, best podcast in baseball. And they're talking about Yamamoto and the Cardinals are actually uniquely positioned this offseason to go after the Japanese market, not just in a way that they've had success there before, but they've actually began to invest a lot of money into their infrastructure over there and to begin to have the personnel to go out there and scout and build relationships with those organizations. So he didn't name the scout, but they hired a scout last year who is extremely plugged in in Japan. So it's his first year with um, the Cardinals, but he's been over there and worked for a half dozen to a dozen organizations in the majors, one of the best out there. And he actually has a really good relationship with Yamamoto's team right now, which means okay. a lot. Um, he's a guy that's plugged in there. He's he's He knows how to, and he has a history of, so I'm surprised he didn't name him because he was giving a lot of info, but he has a history of actually closing deals on those guys. So he scouts them, he brings them to the team, and then he helps build a relationship where they actually want to come sign in J- from Japan. Now, that probably actually has more to help to do with some of the other Japanese names that are lower on the list. Like ultimately Yamamoto's market, like he's probably going to go highest bidder. It's probably not going to matter as much the relationships on him. I'm kind of in on Yamamoto because of the fact that he's 25. You're looking for a guy who, I mean, even if he regresses, like he regresses like by two, like gives up two more runs per nine innings. That's a three one six ERA. Like 
He's yeah. got a lot of room to like fail based on how he's pitched in Japan. And I just think like all of the starters have concerns. So yeah. assuming he goes for less than Blake Snell, but more than Aaron Nola, if you compared Aaron Nola and Yamamoto to me, I think he's uh, he's got more pros than Yama or than Nola in my opinion. Um, and the age is really nice there too. I think just the fact that every pitcher has question marks makes me think Absolutely. like, okay, if his biggest question mark is can he be like he's historically good in Japan, can he be good in the United States? I would feel like that's probably a yes. So that's where I'd probably lean on that. Where like Nola, Snell, pretty much all of these other guys, if they had a mid four ERA last year, you probably wouldn't be shocked by it either. Now, would I be shocked by Yamamoto? Probably not. But like again, there's just the level of performance he's putting on right now at the age he's doing it and how he's doing it matters. So I'm in on Yamamoto. Um, would be a big, big yes. But I just end of the day, it's gonna be hard to outbid the Mets and the Yankees and the Dodgers. Yeah. So we'll see. Um. Now, I know that we're both a big fan of this next one. I count him as a tier one pitcher. I know most people don't, so I will put him in tier two in this argument, but he is a tier one starter to me. Sonny Gray, I could go on for days, but Sandy, you can lead us off with the home run. There there is actually not a con to Sonny Gray, in my opinion. Okay. There's zero cons. There's nothing wrong with signing Sonny Gray. There's no (laughs) way to spin it to make it wrong the only way it could possibly be wrong is if the cardinals like me were too much in love with him and decided he was the only person that needed to pitch and they started him every single day because (laughs) he is the answer and and it's it's just like you look at what he's done over the course of his career he has a 121 era plus he has basically been a below average pitcher twice in his entire career twice in 11 years he's been below average and, and he's not just like above average. He generally hangs out above 120. How many years in a row do you think he's been above 120, Josh, in terms of ERA plus? Three? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, Wait, eight. Wait, above 120? Eight times in 11 years. He's been 20% above league average. Oh, I think he said in a row. Okay, it's still oh, eight oh. times in 11 years is insane either way. In a row? Okay. In a row, he's done it. He did it three times in a row to start his career. Okay. Then he did it four out of the last five seasons, taking a break Jeez. in 2021 to post an oh my goodness 112 ERA plus season. <laughs> still really good. He yeah. routinely throws a lot of innings. Right, 184 this year. He's topped 200 before twice in a row in his career back with Oakland. Um, he had a slight hiccup with the Yankees. He was available the entire pandemic season and was actually really good because that's what Sonny Gray does. He's really good. He is effective. He's consistent. That's exactly what the Cardinals need. He doesn't walk people. He doesn't just put people on base for no reason. Also, he like never gives up home runs. He's only allowed more than one homer per nine once in the last six seasons. Like these are all things to me that are just like slam dunk player. Oh, and by the way, he's cheaper than all those other guys, which doesn't make any sense to me. Because, like, if it was all up to me and I got to, like, set the Sunny Gray market, if I was him, I'd be looking for, like, $28 million a year AAV. Like, yeah. he deserves that money. Yeah, especially so. when you look at, like, Scherzer and Verlander got in the 40s. Like, yeah, 
I think if you're looking at a short-term deal, if you're a pitcher that's near the top of the league in ERA and is consistently, I can't find the stat, but I had it the other day, is he's at least top 15 in career ERA among all starters that are active right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's 13th. I just didn't want to say the exact number and be wrong on that. Um, but he's in like massively underrated throughout his career. And the places he pitched, he's pitched in New York, which is probably the highest pressure pressure situation in all baseball. Yep. Now it didn't go well, but he's been on record talking about how there's he just he changed some stuff and also personality fit just didn't work very well. New York, St. Louis is not New York. It it is pressure, but it's not New York. He pitched in Oakland, which they were good back in those days, but again, it's Oakland and it's just a weird environment. He was a Cy Young candidate pitching a great American ballpark in the NL Central. Should have won it. Yeah, that's insane. So, like, there's a lot of the pros right there, too. Um, And so, like, if he was a guy looking for a two-year deal, getting at least $30 a year makes sense to me. Um, But, again, his market doesn't seem to be like that right now, which is, I think, great news for the Cardinals. A couple of, like, random tidbits about him, too, that seems like a good fit for St. Louis is – he doesn't want to play a long time, so he's not going to be looking for a five, six-year deal. He's probably one more contract and done. So I would say at max, he's looking for a four-year deal. But you're probably looking into, I'd say three years is probably it, but maybe yeah. it's two years. And then he really wants to get closer to home. He was really open about that, the All-Star game. And and he's in Minnesota from Nashville. That's not a, like It's not nothing, but it's not like he's in L.A. trying to get to Nashville. So for him to want to get even closer means he's going to shrink his options down, probably. But he was very adamant that he's a family man, wants to be home. Look, the two closest geographical cities are Cincinnati and Atlanta, which does scare me a little bit because I could see either of those teams wanting to go after him. But then it's St. Louis. And so um, Derek Gold has already talked about how um, he or the Cardinals are going to approach Aaron Nola and Sonny Gray right out of free agency because and see if they have mutual interest because they think they should. They're like, we see each other as good fits. And then Sonny Gray specifically, he's already talked about there. I'm going to try and move on him quickly and see a lot of reasons why that move makes a ton of sense. And so it already seems like it's going to happen. It's not just us being like, that makes a lot of sense. The Cardinals think it makes a lot of sense. Sonny Gray is a great starter. I would be comfortable with him. I'm not saying this is ideal, but I'd be comfortable with him as your opening day starter um, in 2024. I'd be be Um, so <laughs> I would be too. And honestly, if you have Aaron Nola and Sonny Gray, or you have Yamamoto and Sonny Gray, I think Sonny Gray can start game one. Like that's the kind of pitcher he is right now. Yeah. And Sonny um, Gray, it's like he's the perfect small market starter. Yeah, like, exactly. What he does in Oakland and Cincinnati and Minnesota, those are like mid or small market teams. And Sonny Gray shows up and does his job. I've never heard anyone complain about him. Like he seems like a great teammate, a great fit, very much like a Cardinal way guy. Those yeah. are all things that like should be important. You talk yep. about someone like wanting to go closer to the middle of the country so that they can spend more time with their family. That sounds a lot like a lot of reasons Cardinals players have gone where they are. One more thing about Sonny Gray. There yeah. are just players for whatever reason throughout their career that are just routinely underrated. I don't yep. understand why it's a narrative that develops around a player when they're young, early on in their career. And then there are other players that for some reason, like everyone just assumes that they're incredible. Jeremy Pena has been this way. Like, I don't think Jeremy Pena is a great ball player. People mm. continually talk about him as if he's an all-star caliber player. Sonny Gray though, like just never has gotten any buzz no matter what he's done. He now has a career war of 30, which is like elite. When you look at careers, when it's all said and done, most guys don't even top 10. Adam Wainwright, actually, in terms of B-War, 
44.9 is where he'll rest for the rest of his career. Wow. Sonny Gray at only 33 has a great chance of passing that. We're That's talking incredible. about a guy who probably, according to war at least, will have more value than Adam Wainwright over the course of his career. That's a wow. great pitcher, not just for one year. That's a great pitcher for a bunch of years. Super impressive to me. Also, last thing, Blake Snell's career war, 21. And Blake Snell is 30. So he would have to have basically three really good seasons, which he hasn't done yet. He's only had two really good seasons ever yeah. to even get into the same range as Sonny Gray. So dang. I think uh, you look at a couple other guys. So the guys who passed them or who have passed um, Sonny Gray in career war, who are currently active, it's Steven Strasburg, Lance yeah. Lynn, Hugh Darvish, Nola, Bumgarner, Kluber, um, Cueto, Wainwright, Cole, DeGrom, uh, Sale. Like it's guy, Cole Hamill. Oh, he's not active anymore. Why is he listed as active? Really Zach good list. Scherzer, Kershaw, Verlander. Like it's Hall of Famers and really or borderline list. Hall of Famers. So, I totally agree. He's underrated at this point. I'm getting like, I think people are starting to buy into the idea of him being in the Cardinals rotation. It seems like people have also realized he's not a number three starter, which I mean, I would love if the Cardinals made him a third yeah. three starter. Yeah. That means they have the best staff in baseball. So like, sure. But if you think his talent is that that's ridiculous. Um, I just, yep. Too many green flags with Sonny Gray. If that's the only move the Cardinals make, it's a failure of an off season, but it's not a failure of a move. Sonny Gray is the guy. I love it. And again, the values there. Um, also, I mean, he, I think he just produced on the biggest stage twins have not won a playoff series since what was it 2004 i didn't like, want to play off game since yeah. 2002 18 losses in a row in the playoffs insane so they in the game the clinching game he gives up or he goes five innings scoreless and again he only threw 80 high 80s pitches he probably could have gotten another inning but you i mean manager's discretion they pulled him he made that clutch pickoff play. He talked about it That's at awesome. length in a press conference. Like he is a gamer. So give me Sonny Gray. I'm yeah. all in. And also like with all of these guys in general, like if the Cardinals really go after them, even if they're not Cy Young candidates, the fact that you go from literal uncertainty outside of Jordan Montgomery, every start from what you're going to get and your, your bullpen's trashed because you're constantly having to go to them early in games. Yeah. Now you have consistency, you have stoppers, like, even when the Cardinals, like, this isn't the first year the Cardinals rotation has been a mess. Last year, they had to patch the deadline. The year before that, remember, they had to go after John Lester, Wade LeBlanc, and all of them. Like, yeah, they've yeah, done yeah. really weird things. J.A. Happ, like, yeah. but they always had a stopper. They had Adam Wainwright. They had Jack Flaherty. They had a guy that every fifth day could reset the rotation, reset the bullpen. Jordan Montgomery did that for a stretch, but for the most part, it was a mess for four or five of the starts of the week. And you have to, you even just have two really good starters that transforms the rotation and also takes pressure off of Myers Michaelis. It takes pressure off of Steven Matz. It takes pressure after off of Zach Thompson, et cetera. So anyways, the greenest of flags for Sonny Gray. Absolutely. Um, let's go to one more, um, one more a free agent that's been linked to them. And we'll go to the trade market and then see if there's any guys that we want to throw into the mix. But Jordan Montgomery, again, we talked about him as a guy that we're glad they traded because they got great value out of him. Would yes. you bring it back? I mean, yeah. I, I If they brought back Jordan Montgomery and paired that with Sonny Gray, and then obviously you need a big trade if that's the case. But like, yeah, thumbs up. I really yeah. like Jordan Montgomery. Obvi like, who doesn't like Jordan Montgomery after what he's done for the Cardinals? He was awesome here. He seemed like a great fit. Never heard any complaints about him in the clubhouse. Seemed like guys really liked him. 
Um, and we've already seen that, like that fits already happened. So it's not something where yeah. we have to be like, oh, you know, are we going to introduce something unknown to a system? Nope. It's already been done. People really liked him. It was great. Uh, and by the way, if you bring back Jordan Montgomery, that's great because then the Rangers, like assuming they don't win the World Series, then it's like, wow, the Rangers just gave us Tako Roby and Thomas Sejazi for 10 starts of Jordan Montgomery, and they didn't even win the World Series with it. So now I kind of have to root against the Rangers if that's the case. But like, <laughs> yes, that'd be awesome. And it'd just be, you know, further, in my opinion, cementing Mo's status as a great GM, but I'm on my soapbox. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, again, like insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Obviously, our success for a Cardinals fan is winning the World Series. It's not just scraping into the playoffs. Sure. If you're front office and ownership, you're looking to keep your job or you're looking to keep a business running, making the playoffs a lot and having a chance to win is probably a lot more successful than we would believe it to be. When you have a season as bad as the Cardinals did this year, that changes things. And if they change things this year, I think it proves that Mosaic is actually a good front office manager. He's made mistakes. When you've been in charge of a team for over a decade, you're going to make plenty of mistakes along the way. This is this is the defining offseason. Does he change his ways? And does ownership let him change? Because if ownership says, this is your budget and we're not moving on it, then he can, he can make great moves within the confined budget. The Rays do it. Other teams do it. But if if he's told he can't give Aaron Nola the contract he wants or, or Yamamoto, like, who's that on? That's on the DeWitt. So I'm there with you about Mo. I think he's made a lot of mistakes, but that's all. Oh, Jordan Montgomery is the point of this conversation, though. Um, I am in on him as well. I won't beat the horse dead because um, we already talked about him. But I think the familiarity side of it makes sense, too. Like, if you're going to be bringing in a ton of new arms, it might make sense for one of them to be a friendly face. So, um but I'm, I would like the idea of change too. So we'll see on some of that. So um, let's go to some of the trade targets here. Uh, one that has been linked for quite a while, I feel like, but um, he wasn't actually shopped by the White Sox until this deadline. Dylan Cease. Uh, yeah. I have mixed thoughts on him. Uh, Sandy, where are you at with Dylan Cease? Well, before this year, I like really, really wanted Dylan Cease, but then this year happened and this year was not a great year for Dylan right? Like he walked the farm, which yeah. you don't want to see. I've got his numbers pulled up 79 walks and 177 innings is good for nice. four for nine, which is sustainable. It's better than Snell, better than Snell by a lot, but he also allowed a ton of hits. So his whip was over 1.4, um, right around league average in terms of his ERA plus he had a better FIP though, had a lower FIP than Snell also, which I wanted to point out. Interesting. I mean, he strikes out a lot of guys, I just think he's so expensive. And now that the White Sox have waited so long, he's lost a lot of control. We're talking yeah. about a guy that, what, two years now is what you're going to get from him? Yep. Like, if you could have traded for him last offseason, the price would have been higher, but like a third year. And maybe with Dylan Cease in your rotation, you're better this year. Uh, you're probably a lot better this year. But I don't know. I'm starting to have some doubts about him. I really do think the White Sox are going to say, give us Lars Newtbar. I really think they're going to say, give us Nolan Gorman. They might be asking for two from that grab bag that includes Newbar, Donovan, Gorman, et cetera. Probably not interested in that. So for me, like if Dylan Cease became a Cardinal, my reaction when I see Cardinals acquire Dylan Cease would be like, yes, that's really exciting. But then when I'm reading the price, I would kind of start to turn down. So I'd probably be honestly a thumbs down on Dylan Cease right now. Yeah, I wish there, maybe there's a way we could creatively think of it before the end, but I wish there was a way to say, like, we're out on a guy assuming the price, 
and if the price is different, we're in because Dylan Cease is that guy for me. Where yeah, I just like if like you said, it's probably going to take at least one of Nolan Gorman, Lars Newbar, Brendan Donovan to pull it off, and potentially more. Like not look, it will be more than that, but potentially two of those guys. I just don't see that for Dylan C, especially only two years of control. And again, he's not like, I mean, he's had one incredible year, but then other than that, hasn't been that good. The stuff is there. I would rather prioritize other people in the market. If he had three or more years of control and is coming off a year like this, I think you go, okay, like you still get three years of control with him. Maybe it is worth giving up all that value. But I think with so many options where you don't have to give up that kind of value, I would rather go in a different direction when it comes to the trade market if they're assuming they go with a trade. Again, though, if Dylan Cease, they want, uh, I don't know, saying any of those three guys kind of hurts me, but they wanted Brendan Donovan. Honestly, even they just wanted Mason Wynn or I don't know, like something like that. I think I'm more open to it. Yeah. Um, but again, it depends on the final price point, but I just, in my head, there's too many other options out there that will cost less, but probably produce similar results. But yeah. who knows, maybe we're looking at this next June and he's a Cy Young candidate and we're like, oh, we missed the bow on that one. But um, yeah, I'm probably out on Dylan C's. Um, an- another specific name that has been uh, thrown out there as a trade target is Tyler Glass. Now, this mm. is a guy that I'm in on now, again, trade value makes a difference here so they're saying brendan donovan lars newpard nolan gorman for him I'm, I'm out on that but assuming they can't ask for that because he's got one year of control at 25 million dollars a year and is an injury risk i'm in you're looking probably at like a tommy edmund type trade which makes a lot of sense because they just lost wander franco he has yeah. an extra year of control like there's some interesting pieces there that i think tommy edmund makes a lot of sense as the centerpiece of that kind of deal Maybe they really like Dylan Carlson. Maybe they want to take a risk on Tyler O'Neill, even though he doesn't like playing on turf. Maybe they like Alec Burleson. Maybe Thomas Sejaci. I could see him as a Ray. That makes a lot of sense. I don't want to give him up. And especially for one year of blast now, I don't see that. But there's a lot of like, I think there's other names that they could use outside of the core three to get glass now. And then again, this guy has some of the best stuff in baseball. Again, he he only has one really elite year. Actually, I would say two, 2019, 178 year array in 12 starts. He was on pace to be a top Cy Young candidate in 2021 with a 2.66 ERA before he went down with an injury. He made a playoff start last year and was really good coming back from injury. And then again, this year he made 21 starts with a 3.53 ERA. Again, he's ERA plus a 118 last year. He was 287 last year, but again, that was like two innings. That was like eight innings. 152 in 2021, uh, 248 in 2019 during that 14 game stretch. Like top end stuff. Tyler Glass now dominates. Um, and he's yeah. a guy when he's healthy, he can go deep into a game if yes. he if he needs to. Um, Derek Gold also talked about this recently. The Cardinals are looking at the rotation and aggregate and not necessarily the five spots. So for them, the, yeah, me too. And if you're if you're confused what we mean by aggregate here, it's like instead of looking at Tyler Glass now as just one rotation, like Tyler Glass now, can he give you 32 spots? They look at each rotation spot. And so if Tyler Glass now is your number two or three starter, and he's only giving you, say he gives you 24 starts next year. What, how they would look at it is, do we go after X pitcher and get 32 starts out of him? Or do we go after Glass now and get 24 starts of, out of him and eight starts out of Zach Thompson, which is more valuable? Again, if I'm the Cardinals, I want the top end talent there and trust that if I have to fill in six, seven starts because Glass now hit the IL one time and Zach Thompson's that guy, you can get by with that. 
what you can't get by with is Miles or Miles Michaelis, Stephen Mass, Adam Wainwright, Jack Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery. Can't yes. happen. And when you get to the postseason, last two years, Glasnow's been there. He's been ready for the postseason. So if he's ready for October, he's given you 20 to 25 uh, starts in the regular season. I think it makes a lot of sense. I'm pretty much with you. Like, I really like this. I think if the Cardinals can get him and it's cheap, absolutely. And maybe he's healthy all year. Like, you never know. Um, There's a good chance that he'll be healthy, especially if he's been rehabbing properly and everything. Like, I never want to assume a lack of health for somebody. I feel like that's generally in poor taste. So hopefully he would be. Um, But yeah, like you can probably count on him giving you at least 15 starts, which would be awesome. And like, I'd be really happy to see that. But it does mean the Cardinals need depth again. So this is kind of the same thing as everything else where like, yeah, Cardinals acquire Tyler Glasnow. Heck yeah, I'm all in. I'm super happy about that. But that does mean they need depth. And if they get Glasnow, it probably means six starters, which is fine. The Cardinals, yeah. internally, the options are better than they were last year. That's something yeah. I haven't seen enough people talk about. The internal options are better. Gordon Graceffo yeah. is a year older. Michael McGreevy is actually probably ready for MLB this year. He wasn't before last year. Yeah. You're talking about now you've added Roberta, you've added Klofenstein, you've added Drew Rahm. Zach Thompson has been converted back into a starter, and it actually looked good yeah. instead of the first three years of his career, where as a starter, he was horrendous he wasn't just bad he was unplayable he was horrible as a starter at every level of the minors um but it's working now so let's let's roll with it you've added all this depth you're not just talking about dakota hudson so yes like i'm all in on glass now because again they have what they need behind him to actually make this work exactly and i think to your point too there it'd be different if they're rolling into the uh, the office or the uh regular season next year with drew rom as your five but if drew rom yeah. is your backup or option your second backup option to the rotation even zach, zach thompson i'm a little bit more comfortable with as your number five going to the year yeah. but like assuming he's probably the sixth option that's a lot stronger position to be in rather than calling up johan oviedo and openly saying this guy isn't ready but we have to pitch him right now like yeah that was tough. the options so that was really hard to watch <laughs> yeah so I feel bad for Cardinal star- starters of the past years who weren't ready, but they've got the depth now. So now they, they have the depth. They don't need to – honestly, they always – people were mad that they said we need more innings. It was kind of true. They needed innings. But they also needed top-end guys. Now they've got the innings on the back end to fill those 15, 20 starts that their starters will miss. Hopefully not anything more than that, 30 starts, whatever. They can fill that but they really need to go after a top-end talent. So um, two trade partners that were mentioned, but not necessarily names. So maybe let's talk about the fits of partners and we can bring up specific names if we want to as well, because that, that's fair, actually. We could do that. Uh, Miami Marlins were one that Derek Gold talked about. Last two we'll talk about here. Mar- Miami, how do you feel like as a trade fit? Is there specific starters on the staff you're in on? Yeah. Kind of out on Miami as an option in general. I think the Sandy Alcantara injury really throws a wrench into this. Yeah, I don't really absolutely. know what they'll want to give up. Um, and again, price point, we'll see. What do you think, Sandy? Yeah, well, I mean, you're talking about a Miami team that two years ago had all the depth in the world. And two years ago, they should have traded some of that depth. Now, yeah. it's like, wow, who's not hurt and who's not in witness protection? Okay, Trevor Rogers, where is that guy? He's literally gone. Like, is he in witness protection program? Did he just get disappeared overnight? Because I haven't heard about him in a year. Sixto Sanchez reappeared this year, like, yeah. which kind of, kind of made me think like, wow, the FBI didn't invent this guy, but he's gone again. He's hurt again. And Sixto, he's, his baseball career probably ended with this injury. Yeah. I just, I, I don't see a way he came out throwing like 85 couple innings for double a looked good and then got hurt. It's like, 
guy's probably done. Um, yep. So that electric 2020 will be one of the bigger what ifs of uh, of baseball during the pandemic era. Mm. And then like Max Meyer, super talented player. Haven't seen him. He's hurt. He's been hurt forever. Um, I don't see them trading Yuri Perez, right? No I, shot. Honestly, no, they, they won't trade him. I don't see them trading Alcantara ever, which I wouldn't no. trade him either, but he's hurt and he's hurt for a long time. He's, he's big hurt, which is not good. Um, so they need all the depth in the world, which means they're not going to trade Braxton Garrett or Jesus Lazardo. And those were the names that I thought the Cardinals could really match up with them on Garrett. So I have a friend here who's a Marlins fan, big Marlins fan. He does not like Braxton Garrett. <laughs> he says forever. He said Braxton Garrett relies too heavily on his off speed. Doesn't have a good enough fastball. Braxton Garrett's a four at best. Um, so I've kind of taken his word for that the more I've watched, yeah. but Braxton was pretty good this year, but also like, I don't think Braxton Garrett fixes our problems and I don't think they're trading him now. I don't think they're trading anybody because all that depth is going to be used this year. It's it's all going to be used. Yeah. I think like a Braxton Garrett type makes sense as the third or fourth starter the Cardinals acquire, but yeah. not the, obviously not the one or two. Yeah. Jesus Cesardo, you could have sold me on as like a interesting, like he would have been the lowest end number two starter. You could have sold me yeah. on, but probably a really yeah. good number three. But again, I don't see them trading him now. I think they could potentially trade a Garrett type or a Trevor Rogers type. Um, if Rogers, because like, isn't even a real person anymore. Yeah. That concerns so me. Bad. So I I'm out on the Marlins, um, yeah. especially because I just don't think they're going to trade the pitching anymore, but then the value, I think you're trading for control when you need to trade for talent right now. Um, except for again, Perez, Lazardo, Alcantara, but all three of those guys probably aren't on the table for various reasons. Um, and then you kind of just, uh, I just, I just don't think they make a lot of sense at this point. Now they did sign Johnny Cueto this past year. They could say, Hey, we'll trade one of our guys, get a good young bat and then we'll trade or sign a veteran starter. But yeah, I don't, that's kind of where I'm at with it. What do you think, Sandy? Yeah. One more thing to say about the Marlins. I, I can't ever actually rule them out as a trade partner. And here's why the Marlins have this pitching pipeline that for some reason just churns out talented young pitchers. Yeah. So I guess like, yeah, maybe we're sitting here and like there's some guy that they had that flew through some fall league and was incredible. And now I'm talking about on opening day being like, wow, Cardinals could really swing a late spring deal for this guy. And it'd be really interesting. And like maybe at the deadline next year, there's some prospect they have that's super interesting. Um, so, yeah, like maybe, yeah. maybe. So I wouldn't like ever say I'd never trade with the Marlins. Um, but also like right now, no, there's nobody there that to me is like, wow, we need that guy on our team. Yeah, and again, if you're but if you're telling me Tyler O'Neill for Braxton Garrett type, I'm in. Oh, like I you're telling me Dylan Carlson Absolutely. to get something like this, obviously I'm in. But again, yeah. I don't like if you're a Marlins front office, Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill don't move the needle for your offense right now. So yeah. again, I don't see the fit. Um, similar reasons why I'm out on the Mariners on yes. a, as a potential fit. Again, low, uh, George Kirby, they're not trading. Luis Castillo, they're not trading. If Robbie Ray becomes available and the price Only is guy. different, I could be in on. I don't see that happening, but again, it's just not been talked about yet. Logan Gilbert, the price is going to be way too high. That's Lars Newbar and other things, or that's Nolan Gorman and Brendan Donovan. Like, ugh, I'm out. Uh, I like Logan Gilbert. He's a good two, maybe. Uh, right now, he probably will be a high-end two at some point in his career, but am I giving up 40 home run bombs and Brendan Donovan? No. Or am I giving up Lars Newbar and 
I don't know. So JC, like, no, I'm not doing that. So out on Logan Gilbert. And then for the same reasons why I'm not like, I'm, I like Brian Wu a lot. I think he could be really good, but he's just not there right now. Maybe he's there next year and maybe this looks bad, but again, I don't think I'm giving up my certainty. It's Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, Lars Newbar for one of those guys, which is again, the only reason the Mariners will do that deal. They sure they might take Tyler O'Neill as the third guy in a trade or a second guy, or maybe they'll take Dylan Carlson in a similar type move, but to move one of their young pitchers, they're not moving it for uncertainty. I don't want to move certainty for their uncertainty. So I'm out on the Mariners. I like their pitchers. I like the idea of it. I just don't see how they come together to make a deal happen. Yeah. And like, frankly, the Mariners, a lot like the Marlins are an obnoxious organization because you have, <laughs> like, I hate to say it. You have so many starters again this year. They had Robbie Ray. They had Luis Castillo, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, Bryce Miller, Brian Wu, Emerson Hancock. That's seven like startable starting pitchers right mm. now. Um, and you don't have an offense. How they can't put together an offense with all those guys, it, it tells me either like they are incapable of developing offensive talent, which might be true because they haven't, besides J-Rod, who like, I'm sorry, J-Rod would have smashed in any organization. He's unbelievably talented. It's not yeah. a special feat for the Mariners to have developed that guy. Um, it's not like a Brendan Donovan who nobody knew existed and then was incredible. Yeah. Um, it either tells me that, which that's probably true. Or it tells me that they're just super greedy with their pitching. And that's probably what it is. The Mariners yeah. aren't interested in moving anybody, which is crazy, especially with DePoto, right? We talked about this a little bit before the show, but like DePoto sometimes just makes trades to make trades. Yeah. Uh, the Paul Seawald deal this year, mind-bogglingly <laughs> wild that they did that. They they traded Paul Seawald for Josh Rojas and uh, Canzone. Like yeah. what? <laughs> And this is a guy like, so you're telling me he hasn't moved any of those starters. That means either nobody's interested in them or they're just not moving them for anything. And that's kind of what it seems like to me. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, I'm not going to trade with them. If they're going to ask for the sky for everything, they're going to ask for the entire world for Brian Wu. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like, honestly, the car, the way the Mariners handle their pitching is like how the Cardinals handle the offense where they've invested high in Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Wilson Gutierrez, and they also have developed all these guys, but the pitching, the development's bad and the investments have been bad pitching. Yeah. The Mariners have invested in Luis Castillo from trade and money. They uh, invested in Robbie Ray and they have all these young arms, but they cannot get the bats going. It's, it's, if you put them together, if you put the Mariners pitching the Cardinals offense, that's boom, we're cooking with yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I don't blame DePoto for not wanting to give up young pitching, but it means they need to go spend on the bats. And I don't know if they're going to do that. So, if you're not going to spend on the bats, you probably got to trade, which is kind of where I was at the Cardinals midseason, where I just didn't really believe they're going to spend at the top of the market. So, I was like, okay, they, they kind of got to realize where they're at and they're going to have to trade someone but now that they actually want to spend this is the best case scenario hey, because you keep that. your young core and you go get those pitchers so we'll see and then you have michael i mean goldschmidt comes off the books again i think they bring him back but that could be money so. comes off michaelis it comes off the books in two years matt's comes off the books in two years you have more money freeing up soon uh extensions need to happen but i think it makes sense to go big right now um, so that's the list of names that have been directly linked. There's a reliever from Japan, but I think we can save him for another time because we focus on the starters sure. at this point. Um, but is there one or two names, Sandy, that haven't been linked to them yet that you would like to see your yays? And maybe I give two yays myself that are off the off the radar here. 
Yeah, for sure. So like we've talked about a ton of guys on this show, yeah. right? It feels like every week we're talking pitching. Um, but someone who's never been brought up on Newt News is Nate Pearson. <laughs> okay. um, so, you know, Pearson was a staple in the Blue Jays top 10 forever. Um, at one point cracked MLB pipelines top 10. Like a lot of people thought, wow, this guy is him. And then he was just like really bad the last couple of years. He's acquired some service time now. Um, so he's no, he's going to be ARB eligible for the first time. It seems to me like the blue Jays are just not interested in keeping him around. Yeah. This year he had a 485 DRA and 43 innings, but he got the whole year of service time. He's been out of the bullpen. He's not getting any starts anymore. They tried him as a closer for like a week. It really didn't go well. Hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I think the Cardinals should be interested in this guy. He has the prospect pedigree that nobody else in the system, at least like, except for the guys at the lower levels, like Roby, for example, but nobody um, who's coming up right now has that pedigree, right? So in my opinion, that would immediately throw him into the mix in spring training. He's also a little bit older. He's got some more experience and like the stuff's there. Um, a change of scenery could be great for him. Also super cheap. He's only going to be worth, I think I saw $800,000 and I saw Blue Jays fans wanting to non-tender him this off season. That's crazy. So like you could be talking about a guy that becomes a free agent Nobody even seems like he's not on anybody's radar. Absolutely. Like I'd pay, I'd pay a million dollars for him easily. Yeah. Like a one, $1.5 million deal. Yeah. Hmm. That could be a guy that absolutely smashes. So I would love to have Nate Pearson. I didn't see as him. I didn't see him as a potential non-tender candidate. So that changes it for me. If yeah. that happens trade, I was like, I mean, sure. But nay, in theory where I'm like, there's just other names out there. Um, but yeah. making you're making a compelling argument for a lot of it. I'll go to the trade market and maybe we each have a free agent potentially that would make sense unless you've got another trade you're really into. Um, I will bring up Shane Bieber again. Uh, again, this is a yay because I think the price is low enough that it makes sense to go after him and he's a one-year patch. I don't think of it yay as he should be a one. Uh, even two I'm kind of out on. Um, eh, maybe I shouldn't be out on, but I'm not a huge fan of. But if you could, tr if you sign Nola Gray and then you trade for Shane Bieber, it makes a ton of sense because he's not going to make in the 20 millions in arbitration. So he's not like a huge number. He probably fits what a number three would get in free agency money wise. And then I don't think you're giving up the world to get him either in a contract year. So maybe that's Tommy Edmond, maybe that's Alec Burleson and Tyler O'Neill, Carlson type stuff like that. So to give the Guardians some offense or whatever they need, you get Shane Bieber. And this is where I really like the idea is that if you sign two guys long-term in free agency or long-term as in two, three, four-year deals or more, Bieber fix, helps fix 2024. And then you go into 2025 offseason needing to bring up one rotation spot again, which is e-doable. And that could be internal at that point to Koarobi, Tinkent, someone like that. Or if it's not internal at that point, you can go out and sign another patchwork starter um, so I like the idea of that because again, I don't love the idea of trading the hall for Dylan Cease for all those other guys. Um, so if I were to trade for someone this offseason, it's guys that are gonna be free agents next year, like Tyler Glass now, Shane Bieber, guys like that. Mm, I really like Shane Bieber. Um, he's like a sunny gray plus in terms of what he like the total output. Obviously, he's got much better strikeout stuff than Gray. Yeah. Um, super consistent throughout his career until like kind of a down year this year before the injury. But yeah, I love that idea. And yeah, he's probably a lot cheaper thanks to that injury. Yeah. Um, on the free agent market, let's talk about Tyler Malley. I am surprised he hasn't generated any buzz among Cardinals fans because mm. I really like Tyler Malley. I think it's just because he's been around longer than people think. 
So Tyler Malley came up in 2017, was immediately really good. Um, and then had a couple of down years where it's like, okay, he's going to be Cincinnati's five if he ever cracks the rotation. And then posted ERA pluses over the last four years of 137, 125, and 180 innings in 2021. Um, and then split between multiple teams, ERA plus of 98. So that's the worst case scenario, your league average. And then 138 this year in limited innings because he's been injured. Going to be super cheap. Um, the twins didn't give up a ton for him from the reds with control left coming off of good seasons. It's like Sonny gray where the narrative develops around him that he's not good. And people seem to listen, especially mm -hmm. fans. I haven't heard Tyler Malley's name mentioned at all in anything. He's a free agent. Now you could be looking at a guy whose AAV is like around $10 million a year. Maybe like, I really do think you could get him on a Jose Quintana type deal mm -hmm. where you're. But like less than that, the, the type of deal I thought Quintana would get really, where you're talking like, okay, two years, 16 and a half million dollars. Yeah. Total. Um, yeah. If you can pay him less than Steven Matz. And by the way, Steven Matz is a bargain. Um, I'll just say that. But if you can <laughs> pay him less than $10 million a year in this current market where guys like Chris Bassett and Jose Barrios command AAVs upwards of $20 million. Yeah. That's really great stuff because he's probably going to be a lot like Chris Bassett. Yeah. I agree with that. Tyler Malley makes a lot of sense. In my head, uh, my, he goes with my uh, my free agent guys, Frankie Montas. Um, yes. And I think Tyler Malley, so I could see him signing for the two to three year deal at a lower AAV, but I also, I would probably bank on him signing a one year deal going into his age 29 season and trying to recoup his value and then go after more of a longer term deal in free agency. But again, even a really good Malley season, I don't know if that gets him a huge bag. So I don't know how much that does for him. Uh, <clears throat> but then same with Frankie Montas. Again, he was a Cy Young type candidate in American League, has really good stuff, got traded to New York, things got a little off, and it seems like he already had the shoulder injury going into it. So I assume that the pressure in the shoulder, in shoulder injury really messed him up. Then again, missed this whole season, so he's going to hit free agency. I think he's a perfect bounce back guy. Again, he cannot be the top two option, but if he's the third or fourth guy you bring into this rotation, makes a ton of sense in my opinion. Buy low, high upside. If he doesn't pan out, you wasted a one year, twelve million dollars or whatever it yeah, is. Who cares? Who cares? So, I'm in on that. Yeah. So again, we could go on for a day. Shota Imanaga, Michael Waka, James Paxton. Okay. Now we're starting to get to the more of the bottom of the barrel, but like if I say James Paxton, we're, we're probably in trouble here, but there's, there's plenty of names. I'm sure by the time next week, there'll probably be a couple more names linked to them. There's a lot going on. It seems like we were pretty in agreement on a lot of things, which is nice to see on that. Um, but again, maybe to round this conversation out, Sandy, who do you, like, if you're just guessing right now, what do you think are like the two, three guys they end up with? Mm. Um, so one thing I'm just going to say, if I'm the Cardinals, I actually think you need four starters, but mm. that's just my thoughts. Um, that's something we haven't really touched on, but like, I think you need four. And if you need four, I think it's going to be Sonny Gray. I really do think like the Cardinals, if everything goes right, Sonny Gray is a Cardinal by Thanksgiving. Yeah. In my opinion, like he's a guy you move early on in the off season, yep. boom acquisition done yeah um, i would love to see that i think your number two is probably i've heard a lot of talk around nola and like a lot of it's official so like yeah maybe maybe it's aaron nola i would love to see the cardinals go gray and nola and i i do think it's likely i think you can get someone on the trade market after that i don't know i, I would love to see gray nola and then some combination give me like 
two of three of Glasnow, Mally, and Montas. Mm. I think all three of those guys really check a lot of boxes for the Cardinals. So I think like four of those five, I think the Cardinals really could be doing that. Yeah, I love that idea. I think the only way they could potentially, in my opinion, get um, two top end guys in free agency and Glass now is if the Rays eat money on the Glass sure. deal because that's twenty five. Pro- it's probably twenty five across the board. That's seventy five million dollars. Yeah, it's a lot a of money. Um, but again, maybe they eat some money, um, or they view it as, hey, one year we're going seventy five, but then we drop that twenty five million for our books. Or honestly, I've kind of thought about this. Maybe the Rays would be interested in Stephen Matz, like to swap some money. Um, because again, he's a guy that they could, I feel like they can make him into a really good starter. Yeah, yeah, I think he was pretty good. good. So like they like approximate some of Glassnow's value by getting Steven Matson return. They still free up money and they probably get Tommy Edmund too, or something like that. Yeah. Again, there's interesting ways to make it work. That's my ideal though, would be to do Sonny Gray, Aaron Nola and Tyler Glassnow. What I think is probably more realistic that I would go yes with would be if they did Gray, Nola, and then they traded for some random guy like a Braxton Garrett or something like that sure. um, and signed like Tyler Valley or Frankie Montas or something That's like great. that. So we'll see. Um, I'm, con- I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident, though, that they're going to make some big moves. I would be shocked if they don't get one of Nola, Yamamoto, Gray um, and uh, Snell. I'd be shocked if they don't get one of those guys. I really do think they pretty gray. I think is I. Sure, so things can happen, but it feels like Gray's a Cardinal. And then uh, Aaron Ola feels like... You're getting me excited here. So, again, I, but it's too early to tell. Maybe there's another team that wants to throw the bag at Sonny Gray and agrees with us that he's really good and the Cardinals back off a little bit. Um, but I just think there's so many options that they are genuinely interested in that it might not be the exact pairing that everyone wants. Like, some guys like Nola, some guys don't. Some guys like Yamamoto, some guys don't. But I think if you look at all the names he said, I would be shocked if they don't end up with two of them. And I'd be very disappointed. So Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Truly last thought here. Um, we're going to close it out in a second. We're running long. But, like, if the Brewers started shopping some of their starters. Oh, man. Would you, would you overpay for, like, a Woodruff or a Burns? Would you, like, really overpay the way the Brewers would probably demand you overpay to trade within the division? I think it depends on how the rest of the market's going. Like if you, if you're missing out on guys and it's coming down and it's like, I'm either going to get Corbin Burns or I'm going to go after Michael Walker. Like, okay. Like I'm going to overpay for Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff at that point. But I think if it's like overpay for Corbin Burns or overpay for Dylan Cease, I'm probably going to overpay for Dylan Cease. Assuming it's a similar package because I'm not giving it to the Brewers. Um, and I'm kind of, I mean, I, I think they're about to hit a dip here because they lost, um, what's his face from the front office, David Stearns. I think it's a huge loss yeah. and they're probably gonna lose Craig council. Like, I think there's a big, uh, big reckoning coming in Milwaukee right now. And even after the season, Fun. Christian Yelich was like, Hey, we made the playoffs on a low payroll. This is what we do. Like, it's kind of amazing that we went this far. It's like, even the players feel like, yeah. Oh, we're just skimping things. Who cares? So I just, yeah. I don't see that lasting. Um, I'd probably overpay actually on that for Freddie Peralta because of the control you have with him. Um, and I should like him a lot as a pitcher, but I think I'd say no in theory to the Brewers, assuming they probably want Nolan Gorman to make it happen or something. Yeah. Um, but, but if it's like, like, even if it's an overpay, but like a realistic overpay, like something that like I, if the Dodgers gave them, I'd be like, that was a good deal. 
assuming they probably want more from us than they do the Dodgers. And so sure. it's, it's not insane. I'd do it. What do you think? I mean, it's just something that doesn't get tossed around because who wants to send young talent to Milwaukee? But I don't know. I really do like you're right. The Brewers, it's a great seller's market, especially with so many guys coming off the market. You know, like yeah. it's not going to be available anymore. Yeah. Shohei's not going to pitch next year. There's there's like there, there's a chance that if the Brewers say, hey, Corbin Burns, come get him. He's the best starter available. So yeah. like they could really set the price. Um, it's a great seller's market if the Brewers wanted to just disband their team, which I would really like. So, yeah. yeah. Even if it's not the Cardinals, though, I think we all, I mean, not that just because we don't, like, all Cardinal fans want the Brewers to be bad, obviously, so I'm, I'm good with that, but yeah. this will help their chances significantly yes. at going after other starters, if the Dodgers are going after Burns instead, or if the Mets are going after Burns instead, or Woodruff, yeah. like, more, because obviously the Brewers aren't going to be hopping in on Tyler Class now, or Aaron yeah, Nola, exactly. or Yamamoto, so if the Brewers are selling off guys, more options available for the Cardinals, even if it's exactly. those guys, so... Well, if you want a future Cardinal Corbin Burns jersey, jersey, you can go on Fanatics and go ahead or and go ahead and make your own there. Um, Sandy, anything else you want to say on the way out? Or no, it's a great episode today. Obviously, yeah. we're talking pitching, pitching, pitching. That's probably going to be what we drive home all off season. <laughs> yeah, and what's nice now is we're getting the names linked. But once the market starts to move, things yes. will become clearer. And if the Cardinals make an early move like Sunny Gray, like you said it'll be way easier to be like, okay, we know one of the names is in place. How does yep. this string along right now? Like go after Aaron Nola, it completely changes who else you go after. Same with Sonny yep. Gray, same with Tyler Glass. Like you trade for Dylan Cesar, Tyler Glass now, it changes the outlook. So right now it's kind of fun to speculate all of it, but I'm even more excited for the first move to happen or for some market movement to happen because then it becomes yeah. a lot clearer what things will happen. So until next time, though, I'm sure there'll be more news. Um, the end of the season press conference got delayed for Monday, but it's delayed, not canceled. I keep seeing people say it's canceled. They're going to have it. Hopefully it's before the World Series, but they might be after the World Series. I'm sure there'll be plenty of stuff to talk about from then. But again, keep up with Derek Gold's work. Keep up with Sandy and I and Redbird Rants. There's stuff coming out all the time. This should be an exciting offseason for once, and I'm excited to see how 2024 works out. So it's been another episode of the New News Podcast. Uh, we miss Andrew. He's taking a, a much-needed break. He's been on the grind um, from things, so he'll be back soon. Um, but thanks for catching this, and we'll see you next time.